Welcome to Directors in Dialogue, Animation Edition. My name is Christina Yee, and I'm here at the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, interviewing animation directors about their craft. In this episode, we welcome Andrew Cavanaugh, co-founder of Cavalier Productions, an award-winning studio that was recently recognized at the Broadcast Awards for the outstanding CBB series Pablo. Andrew has created several of his own series as well, including Kiva Can Do, which was picked up by Nickelodeon in 2017. Andrew and I go way back. I was a writer on Kiva and have been doing some development work with him on a new show, so you may hear us segue into that. Thanks so much for being here with us today and talking with us. You're welcome. So we've just come, uh, we've both been at the Dingle Animation Festival this weekend. How was your weekend, Andrew? It was uh, absolutely mind-blowing. Um, <laughs> it was the best weekend I've had. I mean, not just an animation event, it was just the best weekend I've had in uh, God knows how long. Um, definitely the best Dingle so far. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was doing a lot of stuff. They kept me busy this year, which is how I like to be. So um, I compared the big picture, which was... Um, it, you know, it was a one-hour um, panel-based, jury-based uh, event where six students from who were selected blind from hundreds of applications got to pitch to executives from Amazon, from Netflix, from BBC, from Nickelodeon, and from John Media, and uh, and I had to coach them as well, which was uh, oh, wow. so I had an hour of coaching with them beforehand. But they were they were great. They were all fine. You know. That's fantastic. And such a great opportunity for them. Yeah, great opportunity. Like, I mean, it's 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 mental, like how, you know, how much opportunity that uh, event presents to students. Yeah. Um, it's kind of unique in that way. I don't think there's anything like it. I know there's a lot of student-based, uh, like Annecy, for example, but it's much more kind of um, compartmentalized. You know, you've got your portfolio stuff going on in mm. one bit. And, but this just gives you absolutely incredible access. Uh, yeah. And it's all in one little hotel, so you, you can't you know, avoid the students. They're everywhere. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, good. yeah. They're going to yeah. get the opportunity to really meet people and yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. people from and, studios. And sing karaoke with them and whatever else. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's good bonding as well. So I was also doing the um, the animation auction. I did caricatures this year. Chris Dicker usually does it. He's the creative director at Jam. Um, and uh, so I, I kind of took the pressure off him a little bit this year um, and did that. So that was loads of fun. Um, uh, just the best crack ever. It's the first time I've been to the auction. And then we also did a one-hour presentation for students on Saturday in the Beehive Theatre and just sort of set out our stall. Yeah. Um, and we were recruiting. So it was just full Very on. busy. Yeah. yeah very yeah. busy. <laughs> That's good, though. <laughs> yeah. And will you tell us a bit about uh, about Cavalier, yeah. what, what you guys do there, and, and also then how mm -hmm. you got started? How we got started. Okay. It's a, how long is, is this? A, can we go on for <laughs> the editor is going to get a hard time here? So, um, so uh, what do we do at Cavalier? Well, Cavalier, we are um, a predominantly two D preschool uh, producer um, based in uh, Baggett Street in Dublin, and uh, we uh, focus on pro social programming. So we uh, we try and make the shows that nobody else. It's not that they haven't thought of them, it's just that they're hard to do. So uh, so we do stuff about neurodiversity, we do stuff about, you know, we do gender skewed stuff, we do stuff that, you know, we're doing a show, a preschool show about social media. Um, so we're, we're trying to kind of break down barriers. And also, that's just on our own IP. We also make Pablo with Paper Owl, um, which is the first show with an autistic uh, child protagonist. And, you know, most of the, I think all of the voice actors are on the spectrum and 
quite a few of the writers. So uh, so it's a really it's properly inclusive. It's not mm. just about inclusion. Yeah. It's properly inclusive. So this is uh, so we're we're very ethos driven. Um, and you know we we're trying to do stuff that um, you know for uh, you know, may may be obvious to parents, which is what really informs me. Um, is being a father of two boys, but uh, but you know we feel that serves the audience well. Yeah. And you know. That's, that's, uh, so it's a bit of a hard ask. So that's what we do at Cavalier. How did I get started? Hmm. I'll pause yes. you though, because okay. Pablo especially has <laughs> yes. uh, recently been doing like really amazingly. Congratulations, yeah. because it Thank was you. recently, it recently won an award over in the UK. Yeah, it won the broadcast award. So that was amazing because we were like, uh, you know, Dingle was, um, you know, I, I think of Dingle as a big event, but when we went to London and, uh, you know, I, it was such a big room. It was, but it was everybody from reality TV producers, news programming, yeah, you know, and, um, you know, it was, uh, we had a Stephanie Preisner at the weekend, but like they had Harry Hill uh, doing <laughs> it. And Harry Hill was like, uh, he was even more abrupt with, uh, with, you know, he was like, there were no oh, speeches. Right. A, oh, yeah. No speeches. It was just, get on, here's your word, <laughs> get off the stage. And uh, I, I even tried to shake hands with him and he was like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> So, um, so it was very short shrift, but we, yeah, so that was a great award because we were, I think, you know, there were two Irish shows, which mm. says a lot about Irish animation. We had Becca's Bunch in there as well, ourselves, and then uh, the rest were from the UK. So, but it was very much, you know, the, you know, Derry Girls and Pablo and, you know, Becca's, I think were the only three Irish shows that I saw yeah. in all of the nominations. So it was amazing to get in there. And we really didn't expect to win the award. So it was like just the best night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Pablo is doing so amazingly. But as you say, it can be really difficult to get these kinds of, you know, social programming mm. shows made. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Like, mm. especially kind of given how successful, you know, mm. Pablo is and how successful they can be. Yeah. Why Why are they difficult? It's just, I think it's it's down to, um, you know, it's it, down to the sellability of it. Because a big, uh, big part of our industry is, you know, distributing as far and wide as possible because you do i mean uh, and as a producer you're asking the distributor in a lot of cases for a minimum guarantee so you're asking them for like quite a lot of money without having produced the show you know and it's like a bit of a tough ask so yeah. so there's always the com commerciality is always um you know the the driving factor and everything and it is an industry and it's a business first and foremost um and we're also in a country where it's difficult to make um animation from single source finance so if we were in a different territory not to call one out but you know you may get broadcasters who fully finance the show yeah um but we can't rely on that we can get about 30 percent of the finance out of our own you know on a kind of low budget show and you know in a lot of cases when the budget goes up like that drops to 20 15 mm. you know, and so on so it's um so we do need to have thinking in a multi-territory focus before we even put pen to paper um on the program we, we do so commerciality is a big factor but i think what we do uh you know particularly well is we we're good at predicting the curve um you know we it's, it's a good job we didn't get neither gary or myself or gamblers because i think you know it'd be broke by now but we are good at gambling on where um where the the hot topics as they call them are gonna pop up and they're usually like in the kids space so much slower moving than everywhere else um, it's usually, you know, you want to start developing like our show explaining social media to preschoolers. That's like, uh, I've been developing that for five years now and, uh, you know, and with you for uh, nearly <laughs> three. So, uh, you know, we've, we've got that. So, uh, so you do need to have other business coming in. You can't yeah. be solely focused, particularly in the type 5P we develop. Um, you really need to have your long game head screwed on quite tightly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
So then how did you guys get started? How did we get started? <laughs> well, um, so like everybody else uh, in the country, we went to Valley Farm at college back in the day. We had a, a great reunion of those guys in, uh, at, at Dingle. Um, and then I went to work for Brown Bag after I left college um, because Don Bluth closed down a week after I graduated. So oh, God. Oh, I, got a, yeah. I, got a I got a job there, but I know, you know, the desk had been thrown in a skip by the time uh, my start date rolled around. So I, uh, yeah, so I went to work for Brown Bag and uh, I was on their very first job in 94 uh, as a cell painter. And then I worked for them for about five or six years on and off. Um, and then uh, around 2001, I, I know actually before that, like 97, I think it was, I, I decided I wanted to do a short film. I had a really good idea, so I thought for a short film. And uh, I got a, I, I produced that, and it was the first Cavalier production, although I was working for another studio at the time. Um, and uh, that was the, that's where the bug hit. So it's 21 years ago, you know, um, 22 years ago. What am I talking about um, at this point? But yeah, I know it was uh, it was just such an amazing experience. And it was something that, you know, it was amazing what you could achieve in a short period of time. Um, and, uh, and, you know, be sitting in a cinema like eight months after you, you made the application. It's kind of crazy. Uh, tight turnaround. Tight turnarounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. I say eight months. I'm lying, of course. You know, it was like it was about eighteen months. But anyway, um, was that yeah. a frameworks? Yeah, it was called uh, From an Evil Cradling, and it was based on a book by Brian Keenan, who was, um, you know, a kind of a, a school teacher, an English school teacher who was doing a TEFL out in Lebanon in the eighties, and had only been in the country for like a day or something before he was kind of bundled into the boot of a car and then held in captivity for four years so and he lost his mind while he was he was in you know solitary confinement compression chamber basically and his mind started to unravel and when I read it I was in college when I read the book and uh, I remember thinking the only way you could do this is through animation like because the the stuff he describes and you know as, as his mind started to unhinge uh, was uh, was just pure purely made for animation so it took me a long time, but what, what I suppose the thing thing was that um, I had so much luck uh, in getting that off the ground. It was, uh, I'd, I, first of all, I submitted it for the frameworks and then they called me up and said, you're shortlisted. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and they said, yeah, we'll bring the option agreement with you when you come to the interview. And I was like, I hung up the phone and, and, and said into the ether, what's an option agreement? <laughs> so... <laughs> So I found out what an option agreement was and um, I, I, you know, I realized I had to contact this agent and uh, I think if you're somebody with PTSD, um, you know, who's, who's just had the worst life experiences, you choose the most protective agent you can get. And so this woman didn't take prisoners. Um, so I called her up. She was based in London. I called her up and she was like, no way. You know, it's like, you know, Brian, uh, first of all, Kenneth Branagh already had the option and she said, I'm not going to go back and look at the legals again because... Um, <laughs> Because, you know, it's Kenneth Branagh and whatever else. <laughs> so so I was very depressed because it was my interview for Frameworks the next day. And I went to the Irish Film Centre, just or whatever it's called, IFI, just around the corner with my girlfriend, now wife. And we went to see a French film. And I was, you know, I was just really depressed. And she thought it would cheer me up to go and see a French film, you know, because <laughs> they're so cheerful. <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting in the audience and uh, I, I noticed two rows in front of me. Brian Keenan is watching the same movie. So, uh, so the, I realized the only opportunity I was going to get was when the movie ended. So we all trooped out of the cinema. There was hardly anyone out. And he went straight into the toilets. And I did what no producer should ever do, which is followed him in. <laughs> <laughs> Stood beside him at the urinal and said, Brian, I'm trying to get an option. <laughs> 
And he just looked at me like, who is this lunatic? <laughs> and uh, and the rest is history. So um, That's amazing. Yeah, we, we had the premiere in the same cinema, you know, uh, about a year afterwards. So. I love that story, too, because it, you know, it, it does a, a bit reflect the way that the Irish animation industry works. We're like, oh, I can just go talk to that guy. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm up against uh, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, you yeah, can't yeah, yeah, compete yeah, yeah, with, yeah. you know, <laughs> the yeah, community yeah. that is Dublin. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of it, you know. But I suppose that was the, the other thing that really kind of locked in at that point was I realized that I had a tenacity that I didn't know I had. And so if I really wanted to get something done, I would get it done. And, you know, you know, I don't follow people into bathrooms anymore you know looking for options on books but you know i knew i you know in a, in a more civilized manner I, I would be able to kind of you know get my point across and if i really wanted to do something where there were external rights that i needed to acquire i would get them you know yeah and i've had to do much more interesting things than that to get clearance on on other short films but anything anyway. you uh can share with us here well, I, Andrew? I went to the west bank of palestine to uh because i was i, I wanted to make a, a a short film about a guy who was from uh, ramallah and the family were, again, you know, very protective. They didn't know my political leaning. They wanted to make sure I wasn't going to politicize the story. Um, so I said, I, I'll come over. Not realizing, you know, not thinking right. this you story. Right. I just went to, I went to Ramallah. Wow. And, uh, you know, and it was interesting. Um, I, yeah, I mean, and the last short I made, I, I kind of, it was, they, the guys thought I was a scam artist. Like, you know, I called them out of the blue asking them about events that had happened in the 1950s and they were like who the hell are you i was like <laughs> well i'll tell you this and i tell you I, I told them how i why i was interested in the story and they just it was so unbelievable that they were like it was like you know i'd said <laughs> i was abducted by aliens you know <laughs> would have been more believable than what i told them and they were like you know they really didn't they they just thought i was some sort of confidence trickster and uh but i got i, I got them on side eventually you know um so uh but and that was yeah. also a frameworks film wasn't yeah it, it was like yeah. five frameworks films so wow. I had, I'm, I'm i'm they have a special cavern reel now do, <laughs> they brought it in that you're gonna do them every two and every 10 years or something like that so so it's rolling around again <laughs> Yeah, it's been five years. What is the framework scheme? The framework scheme is, uh, well, it was originally set up, um, I think, in around the mid-90s to uh, encourage um, emerging talents. And uh, back when, you know, there wasn't a whole heap going on in the country. And uh, I think they originally consulted Steve Woods on, on you know, what a, a budget was and all that kind of thing. And he, he kind of did that on behalf of, uh, you know, the sector. And um, so it was run originally by... Screen Ireland, the Arts Council, and RTE, and uh, you know the the aim was to do five or six of these short films a year. It's varied on given years, you know, depending on the pot. So it went down to three, I think, for a while, and it's come back up again. But it's been absolutely transformative for filmmakers, and it's got so many of the production companies in Ireland started on a framework. So it wasn't just us, you know, um, and it's also provided opportunities for like you know this year Louise Bagnall to go to you know the Oscars. Absolutely, and, you know, yeah. Um, you know, Dara O'Connell, uh, Nikki Phelan, you know, all, the, all these guys, Rory Robinson, you know, they, they've, it's incredible the amount of success given the size of the country and the size of the animation sector here have, you know, been in that list for Oscar nominations and won awards in every other yeah. category as well. So, yeah. Um, so it's great. Like there was a similar scheme in the UK and then that kind of fell away. And uh, so, I mean, when you think back to the time when the UK had funding, they were getting Oscar nominations every year, you know, it was like that's how Nick Park got, you know, his shorts made. And, you know, it was like the, they, they had this just incredible run. And then, but you, if you don't, you know, if you let that fall away for whatever reason, um, you know, people miss out because animation is mm. expensive, you know, yeah. and particularly 
that type of animation where you can't go to a distributor, really. There are very few distributors for shorts and say, you know, can you give me whatever 50 grand to go off and kind of do this kind of vanity project? Like, it's really difficult to sell. And it just takes so so much time, you know. Yeah. It's not like a short live action film where you could maybe shoot it in a, in a weekend, no. you know, well, or, or a week, it, you know, at a... Yeah. Two weeks, you know, like well, favors for two weeks is different from, you know, yeah. favors from your friends for a year yeah. to make a short film. Yeah, 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 yeah. You need a lot of friends, right? Yeah. yeah talented friends. Unemployed so, friends. Unemployed friends, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, you said it. But I suppose in in the, because of that as well, it gives you a much better shot at, uh, you know, at these big awards, you know, mm. but, uh, because the volume is much smaller. Um, so there is that as well, you know. And you guys at, at Cavalier, you've done so many, so many shows and, and projects yeah. as well that are your own, that are your own IP. And for any of any non-industry folks listening, IP is intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the the feeling is that it's definitely harder to do that. Like it's harder to do that than to than to get in service work. Although I'm sure that that's a whole other thing of like, you know, mm-hmm. winning, winning the contract for mm-hmm. for service work or co-productions. But how how have you guys done it? How have you guys just consistently like you know kept making your own uh, your own projects and your own shows? Um, uh, <laughs> well, naivety is always uh, my superpower. So when we the first market we ever went to was uh, the Annecy Mifa market, uh, which is Annecy for those who don't know is like a small alpine town in France uh, with. Um, the smallest number of taxis of any urban conurbation I've ever been in, in my <laughs> life. So you do a lot of walking when you're there. Yeah, because it's the biggest animation festival in the world. It is the biggest animation in the world. Although Anima Mundi uh, in Brazil oh, yeah. would try and dispute that. So mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, you know, it is it's the biggest sort of and o- one of the oldest as well. So um, yeah, it's uh, so we went down with thirteen projects the first year, which I I just Whoa. like you know I was like okay yeah I've got thirteen ideas so you know did all these one sheets went down. And, you know, I was like, you know, I'd be pitching somebody and they were like, you know, I'd say, oh, well, if you don't like that, I'll be this and this and that. And it, the, the, the net result is that they don't remember anything you've told them um, because <laughs> you've just bombarded them with information. Um, but I think in a way, you know, you need to, uh, yeah, we, I, I'd like to say we've consistently produced IP, but there have been huge gaps. We did our first IP about 10 years ago. Um, and then uh, that was for the BBC. It was called Garth and Bev. And um, it, yeah, I guess, you know, the I suppose we realized early on we needed some sort of a hook. So one of the things I, I try to do is I try to connect ideas and I try and do something that hasn't been seen in the preschool space before or whatever space I'm going into. Um, so with that one, we wanted to do something that, you know, the environment, uh, as always, was kind of like topical. So we we did a show that was uh, was about, you know, nature and inventions. So how nature inspired inventions and I think the first example we did was like how Velcro was invented, which was like this guy was out walking his dog and he noticed that the little plant burrs would stick to the dog's fur. And uh, when he put it under a microscope, he noticed that the burrs had hooks on them and nature had evolved that that particular seed pod in that way to hook onto the, the fur of animals so it would distribute its seeds further. And, you know, he realized, okay, so he tried to replicate this hook and loop system and uh, so we took that as our, and then we just found tons more of these stories, you know, 
And uh, so we did 26 episodes, but we could have done a lot more. You know, what happened was we had the global economic crash in the middle of it, and we were meant to do 52 originally, but um, but our co-producer in Canada is, all, is like, you know, we're still talking to them, like they want to do more of these. It's still on in Canada, so that's good. Um, but they really want to do more. So after that, we had a gap of a few years. We did another show called Wildernuts. That was actually, I thought, you know, it would be easier to get a second show off the ground, but no. Um, so that, again, it was very, like it was super Irish. The first two shows we did were both set in Ireland and about Irish stuff, a lot of them. Um, so again, like getting Irish accents and selling them internationally was was tough. You know, I remember when I was, I went I pitched the Family Channel in, in Canada one time, you know, and they were saying, oh, can we change the, the accents, uh, to, you know, to North American? And I said, well, look, why change the accents to North American? I, uh, you know, you, you can understand what I'm saying, can't you? And she said, about <laughs> about 30%, she said to me. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, okay. Uh, so, but, you know, we did those super local shows and then, but Wilderness is just sold to China, which amazes me. So Chinese kids are going to know all about curlews and, you know, kind of um, natter jack toads and stuff. Which Amazing. I don't know if they have in China. <laughs> um, I haven't done the research, so, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what the characters sound like in, uh, in, in Chinese because we did the really regional stuff as well with the accents. Um, so uh, good luck to them translating that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and then we did, a couple of years later, we did um, Kiva Can Do. Um, so essentially what we've been doing is we've been, we had been going to Cartoon Forum at the very beginning um, with much less activity in the studio, which is very expensive um, mm. to do. And we did it three or four years, three years on the trot. Then we took a break. Wilderness didn't get into Cartoon Forum. We pitched it, but they didn't take it. Um, so it was like we went 2003, 2004, 2000. No, hold on. Yes, 2005, 2006. We did four pitches. And then we didn't go back until... Uh, I think it was two, uh, 2013. So it was like big gap. Hmm. And then we pitched a show, didn't go anywhere. Then we went back with Kiva and that's when everything kind of started changing. Um, and we did, uh, we pitched another four shows since um, one of them is about to, about to close finance. So, so yeah, it's, it's consistent development is the mm. answer to your very long answer <laughs> to your very short question. Um, so throwing a lot of mud at the wall and uh, hoping that any of it sticks. And uh, so I have heard, Andrew, that you are really great at pitching. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, so you have that reputation. Well, I, li- I like <laughs> and, pitching. That's, and I'm a weird, I'm a unicorn for that because <laughs> nobody likes pitching, right? But I love pitching. Um, What's the secret? Well, I don't know. I just love animation. So it's like, you know, I am like a human and I get nervous and stuff like that. Uh, you know, if, I, if you ask me to get up and, you know, read a list of like something on stage, like I would be as nervous as anyone else. But and um, because I'm so I'm so into what I'm doing, <laughs> like, uh, I guess, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for me to tell you about my idea. And I enjoy doing that. And I, I also I, I think what it was, was I taught for eight years in the colleges. And there's nothing like you, you learn how to get people's attention when people are rolling into, a, you know, an art college on a Monday morning. And, you know, there's a, there's a smell of weed in the room and, you know, it's either weed or beer or you know, whatever. <laughs> But nobody is really lucid, let's say, you know, <laughs> on a Monday morning in an art college, except the teacher um, to some degree. And uh, I, th- I think you just learn how to get the attention of a room. Yeah. Um, so, so that's what I try. I try to do that in the presentation. I have a very short attention span myself. So I try and keep it entertaining for them, you know. So we, we you know, it's often kind of all kinds of stuff happen at our presentations, you know. Um, and yeah, it's great, great fun. So. And is there any part of the process, like, you know, of 
creating a show and, and directing a show, is there any part that you love the most? Yeah. Do you have a favorite part of it? I do. I I love all the bits, but um, but I I love I, I I love the casting and voice direction. Um, I just think that's the best one because it's short <laughs> and it's like you know. Well, it's not short. I did all the voice direction for Keep It Can Do, and it was it was long. We had two kids who hadn't acted before as well, but they became brilliant. Like I just knew they were the right kids for the you know they just the the, the voices were when they came out of them. I was like, that's what they sound like in my head. So that's why we we cast those kids and. Uh, they turned out to be fantastic, um, and uh, but I, I just love that bit because you get to, you also the thing about it is you also when you've got a child of like seven or eight and you're recording the stuff with them, you can see where the the, the interest starts to wane. Oh, so yeah. I am involved in script as well. So when I go away and I um, when I get drafts of scripts in, I'm thinking about, um, you know, a child in the demographic, you know, who have I spent like three hours recording scripts with, and where their interest dips. Um, because they're a child, yeah, <laughs> and like you know, that's not interesting to them. And uh, and also, when I'm your voice directing, you you kind of um, you get to you get to kind of change things up a little bit as well because we're the producers, so we can you know I can kind of authorize that on of the course. spot and just yeah. do it. Um, so uh, so and then you try and do more of that in the script. So it's all it's all very incremental, but I think sound is such a huge part of the you know of the show. Um, and the casting is really important and I don't see enough kind of creative casting going on um, or enough sort of diversity in casting going on mm. um, in terms of the, the accents you hear, for example. Um, and I think it's really important. And I think, you know, particularly with kids, you know, the more polished they are as an actor, the kind of less engaging I, I sometimes think. You get a nice clear take but um i prefer like doing 13 takes and cobbling it together and then getting some little unique thing in there it's hard work but you know it's it's it, it does so much to, to lay the the stamp on the type of show that you're kind of makes it you know, alive too it makes it alive it? Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so uh but i love all the bits um but develop develop getting it you know once once the production starts then everything you don't have, really have time to think about what your favorite bit is because you don't <laughs> have a life anymore but anyway yeah. Do you have a favorite, uh, like voice actor or like character voice of all time? On one of our shows. Uh, on on one of yours, or just generally, like, is there a is there a voice out there that just made you think, oh man, that's like that's, that's such an unexpected way of interpreting that character or something like that. Hmm, that's a that's a good question. Um, how have you thought about that? On our own show, like I do, I mean, I think Kiva Aisha Yusuf who plays. Uh, Kiva is just the best, you know, uh, voice that I, you know, and she's just a great kid and just really, really funny and, you know, full of ideas and all this kind of stuff. So she's a pleasure to work with. Um, and outside of that, uh, you know, let me think. That's a really good question. <laughs> I love the I love the crab and the little mermaid, Sebastian. Oh, yeah. I think he's great. Yeah, yeah very brilliant. memorable. <laughs> very memorable. I love Ren and Stimpy. Um uh, I really like uh, Doctor Zoidberg on Futurama as well. I'm probably giving you too many examples now, but uh, yeah, I love I love that kind of thing. I love when it's uh, like Zoidberg is brilliant. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters of in, in just in general. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, that kind of stuff where it's kind of funny and kind of yeah. And do you get to jump on and do a voice uh, in your oh, own yeah. shows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's usually economical rather than creative. You know, it's like so. So I do, I do, um, I do the scratch uh, for some of the characters, and uh, like on Kiba Can Do, I was doing scratch for the dad, and I was directing at the start, and then I kind of uh, Jamie Tian came in and uh, took over, and 
we had a, we had another actor that we'd you know who I would have put in the role you know if it was me um and uh but jamie was like oh no i really like your yeah he's kind of used to hearing me on scratch so i so i stayed in as the dad and kind of yeah. did that all the way through and then i started to do all the weirdos on the, the show like the kind of bit parts <laughs> like monsters and stuff like that so yetis and things so um but i i love I, I used to act a bit so this is my getting my creative jollies a little bit <laughs> so it's fun i also like that too though it, it is a way of um of animators and animation directors kind of like getting a little cameo in yeah you know for their yeah, shows yeah. it keeps it keeps it's something immediate that you can do as well because everything else is so glacial you know mm-hmm. in, in production it's uh it's something that feels more immediate and it kind of it's good to kind of just kind of you know give you a little creative shot in the arm um to do something like that and it's goofing around really so it's like what's not to like you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah did you always know that you would want to do um preschool shows or was that something that kind of evolved naturally out of the out of the development work you were doing? No, I I mean I think Ireland is set up to do preschool shows. So our, our children's broadcaster at RT Junior kind of runs to seven, and there is um, you know they're they're skewing some some of the folks older now. Um, so uh, but it, but it's you know if you're all of your kind of money is linked to you know yourself money that you can raise from Screen Ireland and the BAI. Um, Section four one is agnostic, but the the big chunks that you need uh, you need the broadcaster so and if the broadcaster is a preschool broadcaster you do a lot of preschool shows um so i was uh you know we we did everything we were very sort of omnivorous for the first couple of years i developed a feature was one of the first things i did which is for adults and um i did uh i did a lot of six to nine stuff at the start because i was kind of an eternal uh, kind of kid i was sort of like 14 in my head so I developed a lot of those kind of shows, but it's really difficult to get those shows off the ground here. Um, so, but and it's kind of if you want to get your IP moving, you kind of need to do a bit of preschool um, because you get you cut your teeth. Uh, so, and our biggest opportunity was to work with the with the BBC. So we would do RT RT Junior and CBBS. I think on most of our shows, apart from Wildernuts um, and Kiev, actually, uh, we've we've worked with those guys. So uh and you know they're they're just they're great like both are, both broadcasters are really smart they're really inclusive they they're not afraid of new ideas and so you know if you want to work with a really good broadcaster and you know um then preschool you're drawn to preschool essentially and uh but i think becoming a dad like 10 years ago changed the way i thought about it you know and as my kids grow up now that I, you know, they're actually, I'd say like I have kids, people ask me what age they are. I say, well, I tell them the demographic, you know, I've got six to nine at the moment. So, uh, you know, it's, it's about the, it's about the shift to tweens kid. So, uh, you know, um, the, yeah, I had the boys with me at Dingle this weekend. So yeah, I know my, my little boy will be six next month and then the elder boy will, he's, he's going to be nine for another month after that. So Aww. yeah, he's going to, he's going to be 10 this year. Um, so I'm watching what they watch, you know, and I, I kind of consume what they consume and it's kind of, um, so we are developing like older stuff now. We're doing, we're doing six to nine and we're doing, um, we're doing two shows in six to nine, Dougie Noir and uh, Snake News. And, uh, we're also doing, um, in the development slate and we're also developing an adult kind of anthology sort of detective show as well. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I say we, me. <laughs> <laughs> The royal oh, yeah. we. Yeah, yeah, the royal we. The royal <laughs> we. I'm doing this. So, yeah. And what are your kids watching? Like, so what are you watching alongside them? Well, oddly enough, they, they're, they, we all end up watching the same thing. You know, it's like, um, so they watch a lot of Scooby-Doo, um, which to me is like just 
you know, I loved it as a kid and now I'm watching it again. I'm like, I'm watching all the iterations because RT have them all. So, um, yeah, I can't believe it's 51 years going at this yeah. point. You know, yeah, my God. Doing something right with that show, you know. Um, so we watch a lot of that. They love Wild Kratts, which is a nine story show. And that's because I think they're both nature lovers. So they, they love animals. So, you know, they watch a lot of nature documentaries. Um, and uh, for a brief moment last year, they both liked Pokemon. and uh, The classic. The classic. <laughs> and then it was like, you know, by the time Santa arrived, um, my eldest boy uh, promptly informed me that um, he, did, he was no longer interested. So luckily Santa <laughs> kept the receipts. So, uh, <laughs> so the duvet bed set and the you know talking pikachu went back to um the north pole and got replaced with different presents so that was uh yeah so that kind of thing um but i like i did i never watched pokemon because i'm sort of too old uh, to have grown up with that as a kid and i know we've spoken about this a lot you know um but did you ever play pokemon go no, I did, well, I, got, I downloaded it. I ate all that. Like, I had to start deleting photographs if I wanted to play it. So it was like, <laughs> it was too early a generation of iPhones. So, um, so no, I, I have subsequently played it a little bit. But, um, but I, you know, it's like, I have, again, back to the attention span. It's like, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like. <laughs> can eat into your <laughs> yeah, day. Can eat into your day, right? So, yeah. Yeah. And did you always know that you wanted to be a director? Like, with, because with, you know, I think at Ballet Firm, it, mm. like, you could, you know, they could feed you into any kind of role in the industry. Yeah, like well, I, I was lucky enough to direct my first short, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, let me see, yeah, like twenty nine years ago when I was seventeen years old, I went into Bally Firmus and we made a short film in the first year, and uh, I I directed that. So I went to go to, like I don't know what it was. Like everyone was asked to put a short in, but they selected my one, so the whole class worked on the short. And uh, it was a little production team, you know. So um, so I got to go to Galway and, you know, watch the short and it came third. So it was like... Amazing. Amazing, <laughs> yeah, for like a kid, you know, it's kind of... And I suppose it was, Galway was the equivalent to Dingle, you know. It was yeah. like, yeah, except a lot smaller um, and confined to a, an hour on a Saturday morning. But, um, but there was very little production being made. So you were in with all the international stuff as well. So I think it was even... It's, before frameworks right so there was nothing you know it was a Edith Pieperhoff, Stephanie Dinkelback, Steve Woods, Dave Quinn I think you know if I'm missing anybody you know but there were there were a couple of short filmmakers out there um Cashel Horgan uh and then um and then the Bally Fairman films yeah. and there were four films made that year so it was me Dara O'Connell, Niall Mooney I think so Niall Mooney who's directing Little Roy, Dara O'Connell, Oscar nominee um and something just toppled over in the so the background there i'm a bit just because yep, i'm forgetting yep. somebody <laughs> and uh but anyway there were there were only a handful of little bali firma shorts in that year but it was like yeah um it was just an incredible experience you know um and yeah and i can imagine it kind of boosts your confidence as well to be you know quite young and to get to direct and make a film of yeah. your own and then have it go out there like that yeah, it was incredible. Like, let's say it went on the festival circuit, but it had one screening in Galway and then disappeared, <laughs> thankfully, without trace. Um, so, but I, I don't know if I was bitten by the bug there. I mean, I've always been more of a writer, I think, than uh, than anything else. And so, so much of what I do, like, starts on, you know, just me writing down ideas, you know, and developing the ideas through writing. So, um, but I, I now realize that, you know, I used to be, 
you know, because I spent ages doing that. But I'm, I'm more, I'm a bit of a conversationalist as well. So like my dad was a great storyteller, and I think I got that from him. So even though if I haven't worked something out, if I'm wondering what's missing from the thing, I just start telling everyone about it. Yeah. And so I said, I've probably done this to you many times, Christina. <laughs> like you know, so uh, it's probably how we started on all that together. <laughs> but it was like I just sit down and start talking about the idea, and because I'm telling, then I'm telling a story. And, you know, now that I've got two kids, I'm all I do is like, you know, they get bedroom <laughs> original um, bedtime stories every night. So, uh, do you really tell yeah, them that, like every night? Yeah, every night. Yeah, yeah, since they were little. So, wow. um, so that is sagas. great practice, though. It's the best practice <laughs> because now, especially when my eldest boy is getting a bit old for bedtime stories. Uh, I don't know if many nine year olds get bedtime stories, but he's like, he's. I, it's a tradition now, you see. Yeah. So it's like, and if his younger brother is getting the story, you know, he wants to be in on that. So uh, I let them kind of like, so I work with their their materials now. They tell, what do you want a story about? Oh, I want a velociraptor or something. I want a, you know, a sea urchin or whatever else. I'm like, all right. So, uh, <laughs> so I have to, so I mean, it's good for my brain as well. You know, it's like a little workout for your brain. So um, better than a crossword puzzle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So they, uh, so that's, uh, yeah. So I like, so again, like I, I just go out and pitch the thing. And what I do now is I do soft pitches and hard pitches, right? So I don't, I don't go and do this now with the likes of you know a big network. You mm-hmm. know, I won't go and, and you know soundboard off them. You know, um, I'll do it because I've been in the industry for so long as well. I know like many people, so there's quite a few people I would see at markets, and I say, "Have you got ten minutes?" And I know they they're in the industry and they know their shit. So I'm like, if they've got ten minutes, I can re- redo that if the shit is is not an option. <laughs> So I see them and I go, they know their stuff. So I, I go and talk to them and I say, uh, you know, give me 10 minutes of your time and we just kind of riff it out. And um, and then I go and, you know, take the the learning and put it back into the writing. Mm. Um, but I do love directing. And, you know, I mean, my particular thing that I love directing is short films, but I do some of the TV work. I think TV, where people who direct TV series deserve some sort of special, well, they, get, they obviously have special prizes, but they need some, <laughs> you know, it's incredible, you know, Ugh, you know the the commitment and the work and everything else it's like i like doing a bit of that so what i tend to do with our shows is i tend to do a couple of the formative episodes and then hand it over to somebody who's you know uh, 20 years younger and you know um you know has, has more energy than me but uh yeah but i mean I, I love getting into kind of digging into a story so i will probably do a little bit more when we get into the older stuff mm. you know um where the stories are a bit kind of a little bit more kind of convoluted than yeah. the, the preschool stuff that we're doing. Um, but it's great. Directing is great. You know, yeah. it's great fun. And so a lot of the stuff that you do, and you've been talking a lot about kind of going to markets and pitching. And could you tell us a bit about like what it's like to go to these marketplaces? And I guess I should say like a lot of these are, they're international. So you have to go and travel to some place and, you know, pay a, a not an insignificant amount of money usually to be part of them. Um, but you kind of have to go, don't you, to get your shows off the ground? Yeah, you, you, you have to go. And uh, there are various ways of getting shows off the ground. But um, the markets are the easiest uh, in terms of, you know, fish in a barrel. Let's yeah. say, you know, you've got all, you know, well, some of the markets anyway, you get like most of the network executives that, you know, who can, you know, make the decisions or at least inform the decisions that... Um, mean the show get made or not um so you, you have to go and mm. so there's two sides to this there's the the professional bit which is the kind of nine to five meetings in the 
Palais if you're in MIP or, you know, in the Intercontinental in Miami or wherever you are. And then there's the kind of other bit, which is the kind of social bit, right? Which is uh, which means essentially you're doing like 18 to 20 hour days really for four or five days in the trot, which used to be fine uh, 15 years ago, but now, uh, you know, my hip, uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, the way I look at this now is that, yeah, but we still do it, you know, it's like, um, because... It's very important to know, and for them in particular, to know who they're getting involved with and what mm. you're like in a personal level as, you know, on top of the professional part. So they need to know you've got, you know, a reasonably good company and, you know, you've got good talent in your company and the ideas are solid and the writing team's good and the director's good and all that kind of stuff. But they also need to know that you're not going to kind of go crazy on them like six months into production because making an animation animation show is really hard and takes a long time. So you need... Um, need to be just crazy enough to kind of want to do it in the first place but not crazy enough that you're going to go completely mad <laughs> and you know um throw your toys out of the pram uh, because you know you don't have the whatever the the toy break decision yeah. or the creative choice or whatever so being flexible is very important so it, you, you got to uh you got to do it and you got to stay current so you have to do like quite a lot of these so yeah. they're like four or five big ones a year that we were always at and uh if you're not there you get forgotten very quickly so and what does like a typical day at one of these at one of these marketplaces or festivals look like um so well if you take mip for example like that's uh because that's the big tv market um that happens twice a year in Cannes, yeah. So there's MIP TV in April coming up in a couple of weeks and then MIPCOM in October. And MIPCOM also has a thing called MIP Junior, which is the, you know, specifically around kids' shows. Regular day, so you know the you know, breakfast, if you're that way inclined. Um, you can do from whatever time. You know, you do get people who say, Oh my bra I've got a couple of breakfast lots. I'm like, Oh god, no. So uh so you've got that. That's so that might be, be meeting o'clock. Um, yeah, meetings. The Palais opens, I think, at nine. So you're, you, you, they're half hour slots. So you go down and it, it can be very punishing if you don't know the layout of that building because it's around the size of Offaly. And uh, wow. it, it's <laughs> enormous and it's got bits bolted onto it. They keep building new bits. You know, there's the Riviera and the Lerans and all these suites. And they're and they're they're laid out. I think the 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 layout of these things is designed by a necromancer or something. It's um it's just impossible to find your way around, no matter how many times you've been in there. They've these kind of like it's alphabetical and numeric, and it should make sense, but it's sort of I, yeah, know, some some sort of strange witchcraft that goes in there that you will get lost. You know, you need a trail of breadcrumbs to find your way around. <laughs> so um yeah, so you're always late for meetings. Then that's basically what happens. Is you're <laughs> ten minutes late for everything. You're meant to be meeting every half an hour. Now you can you can be smart and have a stand, but a lot of producers don't. So the buyers have stands, so you know where they are, but course, they don't know yeah. where you are. So you, we well, have probably do it cost a lot of money to have a stand. Oh yeah, costs yeah. an absolute arm and a leg. So you know the the Ireland on screen stand is the one where a lot of the producers hang out, and it's kind of like it's it's kind of a fairly small space. It's got about six or seven tables on it, and you know it's kind of a first come first served, you know. Hmm. Um, but at least people know where to find you. Yeah. Um, you go to the Canadian stand, and it's like it's almost the size of Canada. Um, <laughs> so I think it's you know it's in our, yeah you can get lost on the Canadian stand. Um, but the Ireland stand is kind of like oh there they are <laughs> right everybody's in the same place. Is it just so, a set of a pub? It's yeah 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 yeah. It's not. I, I wish, but uh, yeah, actually, you know, we should have thought of that. You know, it's like, uh, Next year, maybe. You know, it feel, no, it feels like a, a Starbucks more than a pub. But um, yeah, so it's so that's and then you just kind of try and get in as many meetings as you can, and then uh, afterwards, then you know the kind of there's dinners every night. Um, 
usually, you know, which aren't set dinners. They're more like your clients or, you know, whatever people you want to have as clients. Mm. And then it rolls on uh, to usually ends up at the Grand Hotel. Um, if you're if you're sensible or Lachunga, if you're not sensible and Lachunga is a piano bar for anyone who hasn't been to Cannes, which uh, is slightly more disreputable shades of people hang out there. <laughs> and uh, it's a real, real last stop. You know, it's like last ditch, you know, if you want to be. It's where the party ends yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Which, and that perhaps explains why breakfast meetings aren't so popular. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so at all of these individual meetings then, does it tend to be like the same things that you'll be pitching at every one? Or yeah. have you kind of like, are any of them like sort of tailored or? Well, we don't, I don't go down with 13 shows anymore, but I do have a slate. So I have uh, three or four shows current on the slate, which means they're in development at some mm. point. I may have already pitched them. I may not have pitched them. Um, and I try to kind of like depending on who which meetings you get because you know network executives are very busy so it's it's difficult to get them uh, get a slot in their calendar unless you do it like six months in advance wow so yeah it's it's depending on who they are but like um, so you you also meet co-producers as well so people you may want to work with um, you meet service providers uh, you talk to pretty much everybody um, the funding organizations are there as well so uh you know, you can go and talk to the French, uh, you know, kind of local investment guys or the Belgians or whoever it might be. Um, so you can do a lot of work, you know, in a, in a couple of days. Um, and uh, yeah, but I would normally have one show that I'm pitching mm. um, and then I'd have the other ones in the back pocket. So, you know, just in case you see the lights going out very early on. Yeah. Um, you can always just pull out another show and go here. Check this one out. You didn't like that one? Here's another <laughs> one. <laughs> so... Everyone in the in kind of the the world of media is talking about how much it's changing at the moment, like how much is changing and shifting. You know, the you know, the traditional broadcasters are still there, but the streaming services are just like rising in power so much. Mm. Do you feel that like do you feel that as you go out and, you know, are talking to people now and pitching stuff and even making stuff? Do you are you feeling that that change? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I know it's true because, you know, and then you're, you know, it's kind of like, um, they, then when you hear like Netflix are setting up an animation studio and they're giving creators, they're, they're getting creators in mm. like and saying, do your dream project, you know, and it's fully financed and, you know, it's, it's incredible, you know, this, this hasn't happened in forever, not in, certainly not in the time I've been doing it. Um, so it's like, so they have power you know, yeah. and power influences. So, you know, it's like everybody else is watching to see what they're doing. And, um, you know, so there, there is quite a lot of, uh, so that, you know, that's caused the cultural shift as well. Um, because if Netflix are going to bring out a show and like they did the, I think the last one, the Matt Groening one they did, they didn't even have a format on it. It was like the episodes were of different lengths. Yeah. And it wasn't, a, you know, because they're not bound by, just so for, for the listeners, what we do is we tend to do 52 11 minute episodes of something. That's a standard kids show. Um, and the reason for that is, is that, you know, back in the days when kids used to sit down at a set time and watch a program once a week, they needed enough to go for a year and they want these things to break into, you know, the break, you show four of these in an hour with four ad breaks. So it's 11 minutes ad break, another 11 minutes ad break, that's your half hour, you know, and then you do whatever it is. So we, we deal on half hours. Everybody says what's, you know, it's the quantification of television is half hours. So, um, but that doesn't exist anymore because kids are, are watching blocks of stuff. Um, 
one of the early things that changed was that something that I grew up with, which was the story arc, where you would have a, you know, something that had a, a beginning, middle and end, mm. um, you know, was, uh, was, was the normal thing. You know, I used to watch like Cities of Gold and Battle of the Planets and all these cartoons, you know, mostly Japanese. Um, but, uh, you know, there was, you know, the story evolved, you know, you found out things, people came to the cast and left the cast and that kind of thing. So when Cable came in, which was the last big influencer, um, everything had to be, everything had to resolve itself within the episode. And so for the last 20 years, that's what's been going on. You know, you can't have episode one, something happens, and then episode two, something else happens, and the story develops. The stories must resolve themselves. So that makes for a very limited storytelling. Mm. It's a discipline in itself, and it's it's what I grew up with um, as a as a professional. So I only know that now. It's very hard <laughs> for me to unlearn it all of a sudden. But it is it is presenting. So, for example, a show that I developed as a 5211, I'm now in discussions with the partners doing 26 half hours with an arc, um, which is, you know... <sighs> brilliant you know yeah. it's like oh yeah i know how this is gonna go you know and this character is gonna appear and like so you can think much more expansively as, yeah. a, as a creator uh about you know the type of show you want to make and it's exciting because it's different and you knew like we, you weren't allowed to do it before yeah so. you weren't allowed to do it now i it's, having said that <laughs> very few shows are making it through like that the yeah. vast majority of shows are still following the format absolutely so i i'm not under any illusions that you know suddenly been given a magic wand and i can go and do whatever i want it's like um i'm i, I will still develop stuff mm. and then you know i'll kind of like i'll drop it into the conversation oh wouldn't it be great if we could do an arc with this <laughs> and then just see what happens you know but i'm not expecting to get too many of them away but i know, guess particularly not in preschool anyway. yeah you know? I, I mean i guess the interesting thing that uh you know isn't necessarily being talked about in this way, but it's true is that uh, with things like streaming services with Netflix or even like YouTube, yeah. kids are in fact, just as adults are binge watching shows. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. they're watching many, many episodes at a time until, yeah. you know, mom or dad takes the the tablet away. Yeah. I don't think this is anything new with kids. I think if, if it had been the case that I could have done that as a kid, I would have done it as well. Oh, you know, absolutely. Like, you like watching <laughs> cartoons, you know, yeah. it's like, so I remember we got our VCR, you know, yeah. in like 1982 or whatever it was. And then it was like, that was the, and, and because nobody knew anything about screen time at the time, my parents didn't care what we watched a and or how much of what we watched, you know? So that, that kind of kept me busy for like two years. So I was binge watching as well. You know, I go to the local video library and get out like 10 films, you know, and whatever, come home and watch them. And I'd watch them over and over and over <laughs> and over and over again. So, uh, so that was the equivalent. And then when, you know, home computers came in, like in the mid eighties, like that, that's when I got, you know, I, I would play computer games. I see these lightweights, you know, the the guys who, you know, kind of, um, they say he was playing for 20 hours, you know, before, and then they had to send for an ambulance. I was like 20 hours, you know, it's like, yeah, what a wimp, you know, I used to fall asleep sitting up. So I had, I, I think I've got like joystick related injuries and stuff like that. I never fully, you know, kind of recovered from that experience. But yeah, it was um, you know, so of course kids binge, you know, it's like it's it's um it's you know, it's it's just the way they're they're wired, you know. Yeah. So uh but now they can binge and they can they can watch the story develop. So um And it's I, I do think it's yeah. Too. And I do think it's a yeah. different type of binging. Like, you know, as you yeah. say, like your options as a kid were more limited by stuff that was out you know, in the form of a DVD or, yeah. or like a video. And, and now kids can really just like click on something and yeah. it'll run and run and run until, you know, I mean, sometimes Netflix goes, are you still there? Oh yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it certainly does. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I, that's when my break is over. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> it's like are you um, sure you want to keep watching this? Yeah. Yeah. No, I like the way that's built in. I, I think that's, that's good that that's part of it. Are you still there? Yes, I am still here. <laughs> 
So, uh, and it, it shows someone cares as well. Yes, that's <laughs> true. That's true. It's concerned about Netflix is concerned about you. So uh, it does seem to be at least creating opportunities though for stuff that is a little bit different or just that would not have necessarily been made, you know, ten years ago or mm-hmm. something. Uh, yeah, so people are talking quite a bit about uh, about Hilda yeah. because you know it was being described to me as a as a preschool show. Mm. But if it looks like a preschool show, it does, yeah. yeah. But it has a lot of stuff that would not be allowed in kind of traditional broadcasting. Uh-huh. Like, have you have you seen much of it? Yeah, I've seen it. I've, I, oh, yeah. I kind of watch it in two chunks with a, a kind of a two month break in the middle, which probably isn't <laughs> the best way of doing it. Um, but yeah, just certain stuff like peril, you know, stuff mm. that would be like dangerous, the dangerous stuff that she yeah, does. Yeah, or... behavior. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> not that in a preschool show, that's for sure. So it has, it does have a young look to it, but I suppose it's very closely based on the, um, the comics. So yeah. it's, you know, you, you can't just change that. You know, I don't think they were, they were going after, I don't know, the audience is like, I, I wonder what the audience profile is on that i know I yeah a lot of animators like it right so oh yeah grown-ups like and you know i, I don't know like because it does it, like i mean I, I watched it and my wife watched it it was uh we all loved it Um, it felt like kind of stranger things a little bit or something like that you yeah it's like this kind of weird world um, and were your kids watching it with you yeah they did like they did they kind of went in and out of it um particularly my younger guy um but yeah they did they they watched it and i think some of the characters really kind of trigger their imagination because i could see it in the drawings then they'd be drawing stuff and i mean it looks a little bit like a character from hilda you know so you kind of see that the influence coming through you know because some of the characters did feel like you know kids drawings you know they were like uh they were they were unusual you know yeah Um, yeah those flying things you know oh yeah they were with the bunny faces you know those things so um yeah it's just it's yeah it was like twin peaksy as well you know it was uh something special about it Mm. But I'd love to see more of that kind of thing coming through, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's exciting. It's one of those things that does feel exciting. A little bit nerve-wracking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A little bit nerve-wracking, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the industry in general doesn't know what's going to happen next anyway. You know, um, you know, Apple moving into the OTT space now. And, yeah. You know, they're, they're going to have a different skew, you know, but obviously a massive influence. A company the size of Apple has a gravity to it. And I think once, you know, the first flight of programs start coming out, um, everyone's going to be watching really closely to see what they do, uh, and uh, Netflix obviously has a massive gravity at the moment. Yes, and yeah. Hulu and Amazon as well. So it's uh, it's an in- interesting time. So I think you know for for creators it's a very interesting time, um, because you not you, you can go in and pitch a show that maybe you wouldn't have done five years ago, you know, and you might it might be the right timing for it. So, uh, so that's really interesting. Um, and for the companies as well, like, I think, I think things are starting to settle a bit. You know, there was quite a lot of uncertainty when the power shifted to some degree um, a couple of years back, but that's settling down now. And I think, you know, public service broadcasters and cable operators, you know, they've had their ups and downs, but they're like, they're still here, you know, they're still producing content. They still have budgets. Um, they may have changed skews slightly, but, um, you know, that kind of chasing your tail bit seems to have settled down you know and you can have straight conversations and it's, mm. you know it's you'll get an answer reasonably quickly so yeah yeah so um we've got a couple of minutes left can you tell me a bit about croony tunes andrew no <laughs> <laughs> croony tunes <laughs> now's your chance <laughs> oh my god uh, so so that's, that's just my instagram name by the way that's uh so no, I, what happened was uh, I was um, 
I was using it. Well, Instagram, I, I love Instagram, right? Uh, it's, it's a kind of way of getting immediate feedback and not everybody on there is a complete maniac. So it's, you know, unlike yeah. Twitter, right? Yeah, full of so, maniacs. Yeah, so so what Instagram did two things for me. One thing was um, I, you know, I stopped taking pictures of salads and then I started doing drawings and posting them. And uh, so I, I was, this is about three, four years ago now. And uh, and I, I trained as an artist and I was an animator and I did all that stuff, but I hadn't done it in like 10 years. I hadn't drawn anything. And uh, so I, I, but I was like, oh, you know, my, it's like anything. I was out of, I, it looked awful when I started, when I restarted. So I did Inktober and then I did nothing for a year and then I did another Inktober and then I did nothing for a year. And then I said, look, what's the point in doing, yeah, I love Inktober, but like, what's the point? So I just, now I draw every day. So, and this is my thing now, and it's great little discipline. So that's the tunes bit. Um, the croony bit <laughs> is a little <laughs> bit harder to explain. So, uh, so I come from a family of singers, um, and uh, I, I, yeah, my, I, my dad, or my, my brother was a professional busker, you know, um, and, uh, you know, that, that's how he made his living. My dad was a kind of like, a, you know, if, if anybody you know if there was any opportunity to sing he would sing so i grew up in that house you know where there was music playing and you know people singing and all that kind of thing and so i did a bit of it myself you know but i wasn't as good as either of those guys so i was like uh i did a little bit of, i was in the dublin gospel choir for a bit and i you know we had a band with my mate john and i was like you know the usual stuff in my 20s and then i stopped around when i around time like just before i had kids i stopped because the choir was very heavy on audition requirements and you know, they were tour and stuff like that. Mm. And I was just like, I'm running a business and now I'm a dad. And I'm like, so too much. I, I left it. And so, but I, but it was bugging me. And I, my dad passed away last year and my brother passed away three years ago. So I was like, I'm the only singer left. I'm the only Kavanaugh who sings. So, and the, you know, if you say, look, I know that means nothing to anybody, but it was like among the Kavanaugh family, there must be a singer. It's like, you know, it's like there can be only one, whatever, right? So there used to be like, used to be hundreds of them, but like there's nobody doing it now. So I'm oh, like, wow. I have to take on this. <laughs> so, so I just started doing it and it was like, and as you can hear from my voice, I was doing a lot of it over the weekend. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I just, uh, yeah, I just started doing it and I, I realized, oh crap, you know, this isn't going to have to work at this now because I'm no longer, you know, able to just sing and, you know, you know, uh, it, it doesn't sound as good anymore. Right. So my voice has gotten much deeper for some reason as well. Um, so, so now I'm, I'm practicing. And so, uh, I started off doing lots, putting lots of songs on and then I stopped and then I was like, okay. I've got to think about this. I'm going to practice the song. I just can't turn on a camera and record whatever's in my head. So now I'm I mean, practicing you can. more. Well, you, well, I was. That was the problem, right? So, uh, yeah. And I was, and then I'd play it back and I'd go, Ugh. but when I realized I was play, playing it back and listening to it and, go, and making that cringe face that I was like, that's exactly what happened when I got back into the drawing. I'd post it. And, you know, everyone would be very nice about it and stuff like that. And, you know, nobody would, would say anything horrible. But then I would look at it and go, I need to actually put things out. This is probably why I'm a producer. I need to put things out to know to know if it's any good. I can't just leave it in my head or in a sketchbook. Sure, yeah. So everything goes out. And I, I know if everything goes out and there's critique and then it becomes a conversation, 
than um, than I think about when I'm drawing or I think about what I'm singing. So for me, it's a it's a it's a creative sounding board, except it's a much bigger sounding board. It's like you've got everybody, people all over the world. Um, I'm slightly bummed about the fact that I'm getting more followers from the singing than I am from the drawing, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's like, uh, what are you gonna do? Um, well, you know, but I am not changing the day job anytime soon, in case uh, <laughs> in case my business partner's listening. So. But it's kind of an amazing thing for whatever reason. Like singing and karaoke is such a big part of the animation community. Like at every one of these big festivals and markets, there is always a karaoke night. Yeah, I'm surprised because I thought that was <laughs> mad. Like, I mean, I know the Irish love singing, right? And the Welsh, but like, I didn't realize that the French are mad in karaoke. <laughs> so it's like, uh, so and I, I try to learn some French songs um, sometimes. And then, uh, you know, I always get the mic wrestled off me. But uh, yeah, that they love it. And the Italians go nuts <laughs> for it. But uh, so yeah, you do cartoon forum or yeah. pitching events. See, it ties in. Karaoke is the it's the highlight <laughs> of the. Everyone's kind of like, yeah, we're pitching shows and we're doing meetings, but like everyone's <laughs> just thinking about the karaoke really. And uh, and then you got the DHX boat in Cannes, and you know you've got like uh, it's just yeah. And now um, there was a kind of it was sort of karaoke thing at Dingle this year, which um, was different to the karaoke I'm used to, but. Um, and kids screen they do it as well, right? Yeah, so it's like it's every event. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So people, yeah, I think I think that's it. A lot of people trapped in offices all year round need to let off some steam. That's yep, it. and it's great fun. Yep. So listeners, check check Andrew out on Instagram. It's Crooney Tunes at Crooney Tunes. That's well, right, Andrew. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And uh, would do you have any any last bit of parting wisdom or any advice for people starting out in the industry or who are aspiring to be directors or to create their own content? Well, if you want to be an animation director, it's 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 uh, Zayden McAteer, one of the best director at Dingle this year, said he, it's a team sport. So um, you need to, you know, you need to really have a lot of good friends who don't have jobs, as, as, <laughs> as Christina said. No, but you do need to, you do need to realize that, and it's not something that you can. I mean, we do have schemes here where you can direct off the bat, but it's often good to get a bit of uh, studio experience under your belt, so you can see just what it is you're asking your friends to do in their spare time and how time consuming it is for them. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be too auteurish or too kind of, you know, you can be that guy, but you know, you, you better have a lot of spare time and, you know, not mind doing everything yourself. Mm. So, uh, I find in general animation directors are modest and not egotistical. Yeah. So they're just I mean, super they're, nice. You know, there's always a few flies in the ointment, but like, yeah. <laughs> but in general, like they're they're super nice because I mean, you know, and and the super nice ones get on. I think because they they're people people and they um they work well in teams. Um, so you can be you know you can be kind of clear on your ideas. So just don't just be nice about it. You know how you wanna you wanna get that going. And um, yeah, but apply for frameworks. I think it's. March or April, I think, or mm. February, actually, um, every year. And uh, the Irish Film Board or it's Green Ireland um, and RTE, uh, they, they put in, they'll give you a budget to go off and make your film. Um, they have other schemes under the uh, under their banner that animation is applicable for, but um, not specifically around animation. So I think there's an Irish language one, for example. So mm. you can, you know, you can put in for those. I don't think people do that enough. Um, so there are great supports in this country. Um, you know, I mean, if you if you don't if you've never done animation, go to college, you know, and try and try and cut your teeth there. Mm. Take a couple of years in one of the colleges and and uh, do a student film first before you do. Yes, yeah. yeah, learn what you're getting into first. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. You're welcome. And that's uh, this episode of Directors and Dialogue. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks so much for joining us, listeners. To find out more about our guest, the Screen Directors Guild, or its animation branch, the Animation Alliance, go to www.sdgi.ie.